0: to Partners in Excellence podcast. I'm delighted to have you joining us again today for a really fascinating discussion on sales transformation, how we change the way we might approach our customers to a different way, and different way of, of engaging customers and a different way of creating value for customers. Today, I'm, I'm really excited to have Colin McLean. He's Senior Vice President of Sales and Service Providers at Unify, And they're going through just a huge, really exciting transformation right now. So I'm I'm delighted that Colin's joining us in a discussion about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and some of the challenges they're facing. Uh, Colin, welcome.
1: Thanks, Dave. Appreciate the
0: time. Well, I'm really, you're doing such an important thing and so many of, of the people that listen to this are going through the same issues themselves, so we're all kind of learning on the way. Just maybe as, as a bit of an introduction for the audience, if you could give us just a little bit of your background and a little bit about who Unify is and, and, and all that kind of thing so they have a, a context for, uh, for what we're talking about.
1: Happy to, happy to. I'm, uh, I'm the head of sales for North America uh, for Unify. My background is a bit varied in terms of leadership roles within Unify over the last 15 years, um, coming out of a consulting background and running uh, operations and sales organizations throughout my time here. Um, Unify is one of the leading software and services organizations globally. We deliver Unify communication solutions to many of the top customers globally, about 75% of the Fortune 500 and so we're excited to be part of a transformation that is uh, really emanating from the customer's view of this digital edge, or as we would say, the digital change, um, really evolving solutions and technologies to to meet the demands and needs of a changing marketplace. So uh, we're part of the Atos family, which is based in Paris, um, and uh, excited to be here and talk about um, how our change may
0: impact, and may beneficial, Uh, For for your listeners and audience. Super, super. Well, thank you. We talked a little bit about the transformation you're going through moving from primarily a a field direct-to-customer organization to more of a channel-led organization. Maybe you could go through a little bit of the background about what drove you to look at at how you were selling in the past and, and how you wanted to engage customers in, in the future, and what drove you to rethinking your whole approach to sales?
1: Sure. Yeah, that's a great question, and it has been, it's been quite a journey. Um, so Unify comes out of a heritage of, uh, of Siemens Communications, which, as many of you guys may know, is a 150-year-old company that we have you know, recently rebranded over the last couple of years um, to Unify. Um, and in that heritage, it's been a very direct-centric organization, extensively focusing almost entirely on a direct selling model, which, of course, has a, a lot of key advantages in terms of customer intimacy, um, growing wallet share, et cetera. But what we, we took a step back and we looked at the marketplace um, across the globe, and we saw a real need for a change and a real need to be able to address our customers more broadly in terms of driving scale. Um, to be able to to recognize the value and drive additional value to our customers, through our partners, and so we went on a voyage to to reorient ourselves in some ways, rewire the way that we sell um, to a customer first, partner centric view um, of the world. So what that means for, for most of the world is a is a very partner oriented and partly partner enabled. Um, selling model that helps us get maximum reach to where our customers are in in North America specifically, where my my charter is, we're actually operating within a hybrid model approach, which is, means that we're we're doing much of our selling via this high-touch partner-oriented sales model, but in some instances, we're also addressing um, the customer needs by a direct selling model where it's appropriate. So. The focus is really maintaining um, what we already have, so Mm -hmm. maintaining and growing it to some degree, um, but also reaching out and finding new opportunities, new logos by working with our partners uh, in concert, because the recognition is, is not just are we minimizing our reach by not working with partners, but we're also minimizing the value that we can really drive to our customers, because members offer as much or more um, vertical orientation, or awareness, or certainly understanding of the customers as we have. So it was as much looking at how can we best serve our customers as it was um, internal areas such as profitability or reach, um, et cetera. So it's been a, it's been quite the monumental journey um, for us coming from the background we were to now this this evolution towards uh, a partner orientation.
0: Yeah, I think it's something that we see. All over the place and and with even huge organizations like Unify and and other types of organizations is is that you know nobody has a hundred percent of what customers need nobody has the ability to reach and cover all the markets so you know leveraging partners both for kind of an improved coverage and improved customer intimacy model uh, you know for complementary solutions so that you can create greater values is such a critical move that, that we see people doing. What was the process you went through to kind of say we're going from this direct model to a hybrid model, with, which is, is, you know, customer first and, and, and channel centric, but leveraging kind of both direct field sales and, and uh, the channel. What was the process you went through to kind of go from, from where you were with uh, to kind of where you are now and, and where are you on that, that transformation journey?
1: Well, we're about two years into the global vision that's been architected by our CEO, John Pritchard, um, and, and I would say the voyage has been one that's focused a lot on vision casting, um, mm-hmm. understanding where we're going to go. Um, I'm very big on, on organizations effectively changing the eye level because sometimes we're always looking at where we are now and where, where our feet are and not necessarily looking over the horizon. And I think our organizations really need that type of dynamic that you mix the diligence of looking at where we are now with the vision casting of where we're gonna go. And so that's been the process we've effectively went through um, as an organization. We've done a lot of vision casting, working with the, the partner community, understanding what their real needs are, talking to customers about how they wanna be served and how we can drive business outcomes in their environment. And so this this two years has kind of built up towards really developing that channel infrastructure because I think um, you know, it's critical when you go through any evolution of this change is when you're, you're casting vision, you're understanding what's going on, you have to underscore that with the ability to execute. So I would say in terms of the journey mode, we're right in the cusp of, of really seeing where that execution is taking off and how our partners can be Part of the process can enable the process, not mm-hmm. just we're delivering the message to them. So I think in general, our our, our partners have been very open and, and willing to accept this. I think you know they're le- they're looking to see you know as we continue this journey that we're going to maintain or sustain this approach because mm-hmm. I think the failure that that we've seen in the past, um, and others have seen is is you know as you cast vision and as times get choppy because they are, are you going to stick through the storm? And so to me, the, the vision we've casted, which is here's where we're gonna go, we're gonna be a, a channel-oriented organization, we're gonna be about customers, so we're gonna be customer-first, partner-centric, um, is critical that we get through the bumps together. And so in North America, that means making sure that we collectively, um, as partners and as Unify, have a collective goal in mind as to what we're gonna become, and we, and we see our way through that together. And, the, and there's an authenticity quotient that I think most customers or excuse me, most partners are looking for, which is, okay, if you get through the storm, and I, I can see in the other end, that that has value to me because now I see that you're not going to revert and go back to where you've come from, um, which is which is you know clearly a challenge that we have because we know um, the direct model has some value, but ultimately from from our experience, it has limitations, and so we're looking to get through the change, get through the storm on the other end, and then our partners will see the successes that we have uh, we have together. So um, as, I, as I described it, it's not all you know, a bed of roses, there is some hiccups through it, but I think in the execution mode, we're starting to see yeah. some fruit, we're starting to see some tailwind um, that hopefully will help us pick up and continue the growth for us in North America.
0: It, as you were starting and developing, say two years, this vision for the future and where you want it to be, how did you, how did you engage partners and customers in the conversation about um, uh, about you know customers how they wanted to be sold to and what value they were looking for for uh, from companies like Unify and your partners. Um, um, did you did you engage them in part of the planning process it, it, itself? And, and if you did, what was their reaction to to being asked those things?
1: We, we did, and we've we've engaged several of our key partners um, in the dialogue uh, to to see what their their appetite might be to coming along with us in the vision or the realization of the vision. And we had a similar dialogue with some of our key customers. And, and this is where I think this hybrid model comes into play because I think many of our customers when when they when they hear the potential vision or the proposed vision, would say, that sounds great. Ultimately, at the end of the day, um, I trust you as a manufacturer um because we deliver Unified Communication Solutions. I, I trust my partner because in many ways are already doing business with these folks. It's not like this is new. And so I am I'm really effectively enabling our partners to do more business with the portfolio and solutions we offer. I think most most customers are generally you know, very receptive of that. There are some instances mm-hmm. where customers for whatever reason, whether they feel like that they are large enough or sophisticated enough or diverse enough that they need a direct relationship with a with a manufacturer they have said to us, you know what, our preference is to maintain that relationship. So for me, as the as leader of the region, I don't expect that to be half the customers or 75%, but I do think there's always there's always room for some segment of whatever model for a, a direct, um, direct orientation to it. So we've got feedback when we engage partners in terms of partner conference. We had a large partner conference um, last year in Spain. In the dialogue and in the transformation, as much because we want their feedback, but also we want them to some degree to help us help hold us accountable in the sense mm-hmm. of you said you were going to do that. So now how are you doing it? How is the vision being realized? And I think that type of dialogue has gone, gone a long way in, in helping that authenticity quotient I talked about previously to maybe rise a little bit. there is uh, as, as, as you know we talked about um, before, there's always a little bit of a hesitation when you go through this journey uh, from the partner community but, are you really serious? <laughs> and so hopefully engaging them in the process really um, garners their support that, that they deem it, you know, this is viable, this is real, and these in this organization is
0: serious. Yeah. As, as you sat down with the partners, both at the partner conference and in the planning, you know, in, over the last two years, other than kind of the you know classic revenue goals, what kind of major kind of milestones and goals did you put in place, and both for yourself and expectations of the partners over you know say the course of two years or what this journey is? Did you have kind of you know different kinds of relationship goals? You know some metrics other than than just revenue metrics. Anything that could tell you that you and they were on the right path?
1: Well, one of the big things is we completely reorientated reoriented our partner program. So, And that was by direct feedback from our partners um, in terms of what matters most to them, whether it was enhanced MDF or discount or access to portfolio. So that was, a, that was a big shift in the way that we addressed the partner community. So I think it was a, hopefully a big win collectively for both our sides that we listened, we, we adapted and made that change um, mm-hmm. specifically. Uh, but in terms of you know, how we measure success, I, I, I do think the typical top line elements are, are obvious it stands out. Um, but I think from, from our chair as a, as a manufacturer, you know, we've really had to think in terms of, of market. So while that's maybe not as specific to a partner, it is talking about market growth for us as an organization, and we've determined that you know market growth across all spectrums is is probably the the most viable um, established mechanism to evaluate: are we really making the type of inroads we had we had we can historically? Unify has functioned very well in the large and medium enterprise business. So the majority of our market share, partly because of our portfolio, but a lot because of our relationships have been in that large market segment, um, which in some ways takes up large segments of of licenses, et cetera. But market Mm -hmm. share in terms of actually making real inroads at the small, medium enterprise size has not been where we focus as much. So we've targeted um, our Mm -hmm. sales organization and our partners about really market oriented growth, having conversations about how we can move the needle on the market side. So can we change the the, the market that unify has up a percentage point and what does that have in terms of impacting um, our business and the partners itself? So I, I think I think that's a, those elements together, you know make it, make a holistic picture of what the partner was looking for, the partner program as well as what we're looking for. Um, in terms of in terms of the market itself. I would say the third piece that we spend a lot of time on, and this is probably not as much in terms of goals that you're you're reflecting, is we do a you know really consistent and, and diligent job on partner satisfaction. Okay. So you know, clearly the one way in which we can can replicate more, Um, Sales is having happy and satisfied partners who talk to other partners about the satisfied ways in which we've worked together So those are three metrics that we've we focused on at least um, to see you know how we're coming along and and are we garnering the the appropriate amount of uh, attention and focus for each of our
0: partners You've covered such a huge amount here. So um, Kind of running through my mind is is I have some questions about what does your new model look like? You mentioned before that you have a hybrid model uh, with so, some of your customers wanting to continue with a, a direct uh, relationship with Unify and then but more of your customers, you know, seeing the value of a partner relationship. So what does this hybrid model look like right now in terms of direct and, and partner models? And then kind of moving from that, you talked a little bit about, you know, the market growth and, and, and partner enablement and those kinds of things. Um, did you have things like huge turnover? I don't know what your partner picture looked like two years ago, but... Right. Did you have the right partners on board? Did you have to churn some partners to get, you know, the right kind of customer-oriented partners or the right segment-oriented partners or even people with kind of the right kind of attitudes and orientation to, to, to align with, with what you're trying to achieve in the marketplace? So that's kind yeah, of a, that's... A, great, a lot of questions in there. Maybe you can start right. at the top and say sure. what the structure looked like and, and, and go from there.
1: Sure. So we have, we have a hybrid model which, which we have in the past, I'd say one of the big areas that I, I was most critical of before uh, we went to this approach was there was this, this effectively wall between the quote unquote direct organization, and the channel organization. I know many many organizations struggle with this is, is you have direct guys direct things, channel guys do channel times and sometimes there's this, this overlap what they did. So what and we what we to did was try and
0: take it direct rather than push it that's right. through the channels.
1: That's right. It's right. So yeah. so I can do this easier quicker I'm going to take it direct because I can control it, right? That's the big right. thing in the direct. I can control it versus now I have to work with a partner who I may the perception may be my role is less, my control is less. So what we have done um, over the course of of the last 6-8 months is if we started collapsing some of those walls. And we did that by, we're, we're, still, we're still maintaining some of the channel um, focus in terms of the channel team, um, mm-hmm. but we have a new team, uh, we're, we're renaming them a high-touch team, whose job is to go out effectively and sell with and through partners. And so the, even the nomenclature changing from direct sales to high-touch sales is a big one because you go through the, the questions in a, a formerly direct salesperson's mind, which is, okay, now what am I chartered with doing? What is my role? And the same thing with the channel account manager is is am I still charted with sales? Am I sales person? Am I enablement person? So I think one of the critical things when we're setting up our organization was was a helping the organization understand there's com- there's complete interlock in value in terms of each of the roles. So the channel team can't be successful without the high touch team. The high touch team can't be successful without the channel team. So that dependency on one another. While there may be four eyes on a particular customer. Um, it shows that, you know what, there is no less of a dependency on one another, which there was in the past. I think that's, that's a big step. Um, step two is clearly articulating roles and responsibilities. Because I think, again, a lot of times in organizations what I've seen is, is just basic stuff of not really clearly understanding what my partner on the channel team is doing or what my um, high-touch person or direct seller is doing is part of the battle. So we've maintained, um, at a leadership level, some, some of the, 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 the clear focus on channels. We have a channel account, uh, account team, uh, uh, we mm-hmm. call them a CAM organization, it's a geographic model. Um, and we maintained a high-touch team, which has a vertical orientation to it. Um, and The reason we did that was because many of our partners um, deal with customers in the same way that we've chosen to go to market, which we've chosen to go to market in a vertical orientation. Right. So the reality is, they're speaking the language to their customer in the way that we have been. So for instance, in healthcare, there's lots of healthcare-oriented um, partners who know the language of HCAPs, et cetera, of how they're positioning themselves within healthcare. And so we've chosen to continue that dialogue in a vertical orientation. Um, I think it's really helped because now our partners view um, that high-touch seller is not just somebody in the call. They view that as somebody, hey, if I can take them out to my customer, they offer real value. So if you understand the federal market space, which is a gigantic piece of business we're trying to grow into, um, if I bring somebody from our federal team out there, you know what, they understand the needs of my customers. They can really add value. So I, I think those basic tenets of, of kind of dependency on one another and roles mm-hmm. and responsibilities are, are absolutely critical. Um, but you, you brought up a really important question, I think, about partners. And there's this, there's, there's this ever-changing dynamic of do I have enough partners and do I have the right partners? Right. And everyone would say, I want more of both, right? I want more partners and I want the right partners. And I would say within, within our own partner community, um, we've had to do some evaluation of do we have the right ones. In some instances, we've had to say, um, you know, Mr. or Ms. Partner, you're you're at this point nothing more than kind of a logo or we're nothing more than a logo, and you're not putting the right focus on that. So we've had to, in some instances, we've had to step away from some partners. At the same time, um, we've put a diligent focus on growing the right partners. Um, And for us, right partners often means um, partners that we've not traditionally gone out to market with. They could be contact center in nature, they could be IT orientation, I mean, what they're doing. And so we've had a keen focus on making sure that when you say you're a certified partner, there is some value and merit to that—that that you're going to go at, go after with us, um, key customers, and together we're going to address the market versus just having, you know, 1,500 partners on a roll. That at the end of the day, um, you're not, you're not adding much to their wallet, and they're certainly not adding a lot to your wallet. So I think that in itself has been, um, you know, a big focus of our channel team, making sure that we have the right partners enabled, and are effective, and we can be successful. Um, because I, I can tell you the quickest ways to release, lose credibility across what we're calling this high-touch model is when, is when you bring a high-touch seller into a channel environment, and you don't get the straight, straight scoop from the channel account manager. If right. you don't get the straight scoop that, hey, this, this partner is legit, um, or they're not legit, then that's the quickest way to touch to turn off a high touch seller and we spent lots of time going look you know to a, to a, in the development cycle effectively all partners aren't on the same development cycle you could have one who is much further along than someone who's just starting that's not to say that that partner won't get there but it is being honest about where the life cycle of that partner development is um so we're we're rocking through this together kind of eyes wide open which is which is I guess kind of the third part of, of what I would say is critical. So in, the, in it together, you know roles and responsibility and eyes wide open, we all need to be aware and transparent about where our journey is. So we all know um, we can have numbers say whatever they need to say, but we need to be open and honest about how
0: our journey is coming along. Yeah, and that that kind of collaboration with the partners is really so critical. I I mean, I see so many organizations doing channels and partnering wrong where, you know, they're trying to, the the manufacturer or the vendor may be, you know, doing what's best for them but not what's best for the partner. And then a year later they wonder, you know, why aren't we generating business through the channel? Well, you know, these guys want to develop and grow their businesses in ways that make sense. And they have relationships with customers that they value and so when you get that lack of alignment or when you get that that lack of clear understanding of roles and responsibilities and how we work together on this thing everything starts going south really fast
1: yeah that's right and I think what you said is is incredibly important in that we need we as an organization in particular coming from a direct direct centric view need to understand the value that our partners create. I think I said that at the beginning, but yeah. also the fact that our partners are interested in making money too. <laughs> right? So they're interested in their profitability and and, and they're interested in the outcomes of, of their customers. So as a manufacturer it's it's incredibly important to look outside um, your purview and be aware of what your partner's needs are and what your what the what your partner's customer needs are. Um, and 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 not have a manufacturer-centric view of the world. It gets back to the notion of control. When you're in a direct yeah. organization, you think control, 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 and you don't think in the same way of constituencies as you do in a in a indirect-oriented, or partner partner-oriented organization. So, um, right. really, really important what you're saying.
0: Well, that, you know, so we talked about the challenge with some of your partners that, you know, some of them were just the wrong partners for the kind of customer engagement and the kind of new kind of collaborative kind of sales process that you wanted to go through. What difficulties did you have with your own direct organization? Did you have a lot of turnover of people that just couldn't make that jump from being a direct salesperson say an account manager to going to be part of the high touch team or going to be a channel manager did you have to churn some people there and bring new people on board
1: I think there has been there has been a pause and some of our folks evaluating where where I fit in the new model mm-hmm. because again I think I think as a thinking about it from a direct orientation your question is okay now I'm not as central the perception is I'm not as central to the selling process if I have a partner in the mix
0: yeah I'm I dependent think that's, on that's this actually, partner to, to work together with me rather than me driving the process
1: that that's right so I, my personal feeling is is that no indirect seller now high touch seller you're no less important in fact in some ways you're more important because you're adding value to multiple partners and multiple customers in a way that you couldn't before. So mm-hmm. if you could only touch three or four customers at one time, now you're able to effectively influence five, 10, 15, 20, because you're working through a partner organization effectively. That said, there I think there has been a pause by some of our folks um, to say, do I wanna be in this mix? Do I want to have that reliance, or do I want to be, you know, extensively in a in a direct selling model, and because of that we've had some folks who decided to leave the business um, for various reasons. I think one of them being um, you know, the decision that they they felt their their skills could be used elsewhere. Um, I've tried to convey time and again um, that the fact is is value, which I've you know value right. customer wise, value partner wise, value people wise, is as high in this model as is everywhere but it is a change in mindset. So, so for us, this is really a rewiring or a complete DNA shift. In my opinion, to do this right, not to do this as just surface layer, you've really gotta get to the guts of who you are and change your whole dynamic, change the dynamic of how you are dealing with partners, how you're dealing with tools, how agile you're being. I mean, it really requires an entire shift to make um, to make this work, and so some of our folks have had hesitations on that, um, and and candidly, you know, we've had some folks you know leave the business because of it. I think most people are starting more and more to get on board because they see the opportunity in this. When you see how many more customers, as I mentioned, that I can
0: touch with my partner together, that's an exciting place for any salesperson to be in. Well, that's, you know, and that really is, I think, part of that transition is you start looking at saying, you know, together with a partner, we can accomplish so much more with the customers that we used to work with in terms of creating much more value for them. And we can create so much more with more customers simply because I didn't have enough, as a direct field guy, I didn't have enough time to cover all those customers. So you start seeing for your own people, ways that they can really leverage their time and expertise much more effectively than they were able to do it before, you know, if they have the right mindset around it. And likewise, you see partners that say, you know, together we can grow our mutual businesses far better than we could individually, so I, I think I think on both sides of the equations, at least my experience, is when you go through these transitions, there's some partners that just can't shift their mode of operation and their mindset right. or their business model is different, and there's some, some of our own people that just can't do it, and they go off and do great things somewhere else, but the people that are left that are, are really aligned become really powerful. What did you do in terms of kind of shifting some of the the metrics and say compensation systems, maybe to accelerate the the shift the the shift in mindsets in in your own people? Um, you know, I've seen some organizations where they say, "Well, we'll credit our direct salespeople with anything that goes through a partner channel," but you know, we'll only credit you 50% of what goes through the partner channel versus 100%. And, you know, so if you do right. the math, you say, I'm going to go direct all the time, because... <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, you have to go through yeah, so, rethinking of that?
1: We, we did. We did. And 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 I, I certainly am a one, one person who've, uh, who's been in various roles that believes that compensation absolutely drives behavior. And I think you can see direct returns and what you're asking people to do simply by how you're metricing and how you're paying them. Um, Mm -hmm. So we've taken a very channel agnostic view of compensation, which effectively means um, uh, the salesperson is getting paid no matter route that they're going. So whether Mm -hmm. they go direct or indirect, they're getting paid the same. And in some instances, if you look at some of the real value-add partners, whether that's that's the ones that we're calling traditional alliance partners or GSPs, global service providers, or traditional... A more distribution oriented partners, you could make the case, you know what, I could actually drive more value, more profitability for my company by going this route. And so instances where I may be able to have a, a, a smaller sale previously via this partner because the value that they offer, actually my sale becomes bigger. So we've seen you know several instances over the course of the last few months where you know, we made the, the person has made the decision actually to go the partner route because they can actually gain more um, from their paycheck and their wallet. Um, than they would otherwise. But I think it's vitally important that that compensation piece get worked at because as a seller, our sellers are masters of understanding that comp plan. Right. And in fairness to them, you're paying them in the manner in which we want them to operate. So creating barriers um, towards going towards a channel-oriented channel approach <clears throat> was a key item for us that we had to remove immediately. I mean, I, th- I think we've seen some pretty good results from that. and Our folks um, effectively say, "You know what? Um, I'm moving from I don't care which route it goes." To now, we're starting to see more people say, "You know what? Actually, I do. I have a preference to go through a partner." Um, particularly when you add dynamics like um, key elements that I'm concerned with, like you know, what's the turn? What's the book to bill? Um, mm-hmm. What's the what's the inventory carrying cost? There, all that is a huge improvement when we go through a channel because that typically goes out the door a lot quicker. Right. So, both right. from a management level, a leadership level, as well as a selling person level, I think those incentives um, are are really point to making channels channels work. Um, so that was an absolute keen focus for us to to make that evolution a, a part of reality.
0: Well, and I think you get any you know good strong salesperson doing the math. If you make them indifferent as to where the how the how the order flows whether it's through the channel or direct you know pretty quickly you do the math and say gee I can leverage 10 partners out there to go after 10 times more opportunity than I could you know and and pretty soon they start defaulting and really leveraging those partners exactly the way you want to leverage them
1: that's right that's right yeah it, it is and and you know the analogy we talk about sometimes is is you know becoming that salesperson effectively being Kind of the quarterback in some ways between the manufacturer and the partner, and think of how many different ways you can use that that uh, that wide receiver or that running back, if you will, to enable them to be successful. So you can touch so many different more more right. opportunities by having partners out there in that sales community um, working with them effectively. And salespeople get that. There's there's no question that salespeople are a are a product of, uh, of of their metrics and their compensation. So uh, we're starting to see momentum pick up because of the way we've chosen to compensate. And, but that's always an you know evolving target. You've always got to keep your eye on the ball to see are we incentivizing the right behaviors? Is it is it creating the yeah. type of <clears throat> um, avalanche of activity we want?
0: Well, and you and you have to do that through a quality channel, too. If you have, you know, channel partners that aren't carrying their whole weight, then, again, the thing breaks down. So I wanted to back up a little bit because you've mentioned a few things, and we've kind of glossed over it a little bit. In this model, you really wanted to change your... Um, the value that you unify with its partners creates for the customers. And, and in our discussion before this this podcast, you know, you mentioned more of a shift to kind of working with on um, business value with, with, say, the end users and what they're trying to achieve in the customers rather than IT or, or some of the, the uh, 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 those types of folks. Um, how has that process worked particularly with you know the partners and getting them to to change possibly who they call on and, and how they how they pres- how you and they present your solutions to kind of these these new buyers within the customers right so we've we've spent a lot of time um looking
1: into this new way to work that a lot of people have talked about and and what as part of this new way to work, what does this the digital transformation? or we in the access terminal we call it digital edge? How is it, in, is it being impacted by the new buyer, the new buyer that's in the millennial community that um, doesn't have the same expectations as we before? So in the former world, this kind of monolithic view of technology, you know, the manufacturer could kind of dictate um, what the what te- what the technology stack really looked like. Um, in the new world, uh, this, this, the paradigms are, are much different. So the new world, businesses are looking for flexible consumption, flexible deployment, you know, open solutions, best of breed that I can grab and I can bolt on and I can be part of the technology journey together. And I think partners are the same way. Um, so partners are looking for flexible op, uh, options in which they can operate as well. So that transformation needs to look like, okay, what, what, what consumption models am I enabling my partner to use? What technologies am I allowing? So am I, am I effectively driving towards cloud? Um, which cloud is all about openness and all about transformance, transformation and, and really all about setting up new outcomes um, and experiences. It's not about technology, it's about outcomes. And so we've spent you know, uh, quite a bit of time focusing on our portfolio, so wrapping our portfolio around an outcome-oriented uh, focus, and then our selling methodology around outcomes. I um, mean, you, you've, you've seen that traditionally very much in the contact center space. So contact center right. space has been very much dominated by outcomes because it's, it's very metric-oriented, you can see that. Um, but I would say the traditional telecommunications world has been much been more about cost it's about I'm comparing option A versus option B. How does Unify stack up against Avaya or Avaya stack up against Cisco? Um, it hasn't been about outcomes. And so changing our dialogue um, in the first step was about using the, the vernacular that our, our customers and partners are using. So making about business outcomes that relate to their particular vertical was an important first step. So I mentioned before healthcare. How is my solution impacting HCAP scores in healthcare? Mm-hmm. Um, how am I enabling me to get more funding? That's a, that's a really important step that has value for my healthcare-oriented partner who then can convey that to my customer. So we've taken a portfolio-centric view, kind of this consumption-oriented model that we enable our partners to be successful. We've changed the way that we've gone, gone to markets, this vertical orientation, to really focus on that outcome piece not simply delivering a product or solution that checks the box uh, and we in all I'll tell you that is another big change that some people in your sales community or partner community are gonna make it and some people are not right because some right. people are much more comfortable selling in in the telecom terminology we call it speeds and feeds um, than they are talking about outcomes because because outcomes you have to drill a little bit you have to get in business units versus IT and that's sometimes not a specialization with some of our sellers and partners. So that in itself has created some a lot of interest, but it's you know it's created some change as well that we've had to work through.
0: What uh, also what has the I imagine some of it has changed the business model of some of the, the, the partners in terms of you know as you go from more kind of uh, say on premise hardware or licensed software and those things to cloud based models. You know the whole kind of cash flow and, and business model for how they make money changes. Have you seen any challenges in your partners with that? Well, I, I
1: do think the dynamic of the shift makes the discussion about the partner making money all the more important. Right? When you're when yeah. you take a direct centric view, your work you're you you're your interested in getting light out and cash in. And so now having this dynamic to figure out, okay, what makes my partner successful and how can their cash flow be impacted is, is a dynamic that we're, I wouldn't say that we have have mastered, but that, you know, we're thinking through. So cloud has dramatically changed, not just the dialogue, I think, but the reality. So I would say cloud for our business, you know, three or four years ago um, was really the, the focus of a conversation, but not necessarily the reality. Right. Cloud now is the reality. So the consumption model, you look at the federal government who's gone cloud first with virtually everything, um, that is the dynamic that our partners are working through and our customers are demanding. So I do think you know, that's required us to shift um, how exactly we're delivering portfolios. So this consumption-oriented approach that, hey, traditionally I've sold you a bunch of licenses that you now pass on, um, has had to evolve into, you know maybe I sell you much more by the drink and you pass that along to your customer. And that cash flow piece of it is a tricky spot. So we yeah, as yeah. a manufacturer don't wanna hold um, all the responsibility and none of the cash. Um, you as a partner, same thing. I don't wanna hold, um, I don't wanna have all these licenses and not have the cash. So I think that dynamic has been one that we're working through. I wouldn't say we've got mastered, but it's certainly something we've had to keep a much more keen eye on with the developments of the, of the market
0: yeah you see that with all the the partners and, and you know even you know all the big you know the big enterprise software companies and, and the big systems companies are having to change their business models we have we've spent a long time I have uh, just a few kind of wrap-up questions uh, we could go on for hours but uh, both you and the audience doesn't have time for it but you know as you with the benefit of hindsight and and I I sense that you're kind of midway through your journey, but with the benefit of hindsight, what two or three things would you do differently um, if you're starting this journey all over? Mm. Yeah, good question. And
1: I would say that we're, we're midstream on this. So we're going to learn a lot more as we get through this before we do now. Mm -hmm. Um, one, One thing I would say is, is I would have preferred to do this journey, start this journey a lot sooner. Um, i I really see the merits of us moving in this direction and the effectiveness um, that that we can you know garner both with our with our partners and with our customers and ultimately for our shareholders in terms of profitability. so I, I think that's that's one. Um, number two is i I don't think you can ever do an as, as effective a job as as maybe you would like in terms of communication. <laughs> so I think um, really more effectively communicating to your partners ahead of that, bringing them along with the journey, even though we were part of that, I, I think you can, you can always do a better job of communicating, and of course with your employees, bringing them with you. Um, and sim, in some ways, it's baby steps. The, now, the, the the common term I use is it's not a light switch. right? Yeah. So this journey is not a light switch. You don't go from being direct-centric to, Oh great! Now I'm wearing a badge and I'm channel. That's not how it works. It's an evolution of building credibility with your partners, with your customers, and with your employees. And I think communication—that process, clear communication process—which, by the way, means listening some too, not just talking. I think we could have definitely done a better job on uh, to be more effective. So those those are the two that stand out to me. Um, you know, with the communication, of course, bringing clarity, roles, responsibilities, enablement. Um, I think that all comes with the with the effectiveness of how you communicate. But, um, you know, we're we're in the midst of I think an exciting time um, for Unify and for our partners and for our customers. Um, the journey is a long one, but I, I think you know, with the right right focus and, and, and the right expectations, I think um, we're going to come out of this successful.
0: And then uh, a second to the last question is more personally, as as a leader in this transformation, what have been the one or two things that you've learned the most or, or have most surprised you as you've kind of led both the organization, led the customers and led the partners in this transformation?
1: Hmm. You know, I would say, I would say most surprising is that, um, despite, you know, good intentions, um, despite efforts, there is going to be along the way. There's going to be some folks who, who may make a decision to go a different direction. And as a leader um, who's casting vision and driving that, you have to be comfortable with that. You have to be confident with the appropriate vetting of our direction. That there are going to be people, people who step away, um, because as a leader and one who's passionate about what we're doing. I think you can so keenly see where we're going to want to go, but you have to realize that there's some people, some customers who are not going to be part of that part of that journey together. and And I would say that's in in some ways, you know surprising to me because I, I do think it's evident in the success we're going to have, yeah. we're going to have together. Um you know, and with that, maybe there's there's the the requisite doubt that comes along with with the people about where you're going to where you're going to go to. So I, I think that that in itself was a surprise. Um, but but in terms of, of of what our partners have seen and our customers have seen, um, I haven't seen the the same type of pushback or concern because again I think where our, our our customers are at today is is great. This is another avenue in which I can now do business with somebody or a partner that I like or I want to do business with or I see value with. So yeah. I haven't seen that same type of of pushback. But um, I guess just the last piece, point number two, beyond just the maybe surprise and and some of the change is is you know this is like anything else, this is hard work. and um, even even the small things take time and even the small things um, take effort. and so you know with with change comes the need to be even more dynamically focused on on the outside. And so I would say maybe not a surprise, but just a challenge for me every day is 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 we have to be overwhelmingly focused on the customer and the partner. So this customer first partner centric view is is never more important for us because if you're not really really careful you're gonna get caught up in the internal mechanics of just the change and not understanding why you're making the change.
0: Well and that's why I really like this concept you have a vision casting. you get so caught up in this you know this week this month this quarter that you lose sight of where you're going and, and pretty soon you're, you're going in the wrong direction. So I, I I really was struck by kind of the, you know, your your focus on that long-term and, and the path to, to get there. And also, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation. As I, I said, I could probably drill down and go for hours in terms of all the channel enablement programs and management and, and how you create value, but we'll stop here. Um, if people wanted to get a hold of you and and ask a little bit more about your transformation, what's the best way for for people to reach you, Colin?
1: Yeah, Dave, thanks for your time today. Would love to would chat with uh, with anyone who's interested more of the conversation. Feel free to reach out to me on on LinkedIn at,
0: at uh, Colin McLean. Okay, super, super. Well, again, Colin, I really you, you're doing something that I see all our large clients doing. It's a huge challenge. Uh, I really love kind of your thinking and approach of, um, uh, with it, and it's been such a privilege to to spend some time with you today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dave. Enjoyed it.